In this house, you'll hear from courageous people who have stepped into their power after turning challenges into grit that creates, motivates, and levels up. I'm Parker Phoenix, and this is my house. Welcome to House Momentum. James is the founder of Supporting Grievers, a project helping to bridge the gap between grievers and their support systems and to help enhance general grief literacy in our society. James is facilitating group courses and also offers one-on-one sessions. To express interest in joining his waitlist for his course in January or to work with James one-on-one, check out his website at supportinggrievers.com. I miss us doing our thing, which was just randomly singing like lunatics at the office. I appreciate the vibe. And no one told us to like to shut up. No one, everyone just kind of really accepted it and was like, "All right." We were, we were. We, I, I feel like it was essential to the whole <laughs> the whole system working. Like it may, it may. We were the we were the parts of the system that people didn't realize that they needed. But um, yeah, but yeah, our desk was a fun place, and we were also doing our job pretty well. So and yeah, that's, that's where I noticed that you have a good voice, even though we would we would joke around singing i yeah. remember being like okay James, you can sing okay and <laughs> i thought you were doing it on the regular and it wasn't until like a couple weeks or months in when you're like yeah i just started to sing publicly and i was pretty surprised by that what why do you think you were afraid to sing before you have a good voice and also what inspired you to start using it i think you're using it more now but yeah can you just Tell me about that whole yeah. Um, I love this start of the conversation. I, I I have such a strange reaction when I hear that statement still. <laughs> it's like this kind of imposter syndrome muscle yeah. memory, you know? Um, but fuck yeah, I'm a singer. Um, <laughs> and before two and a half years ago, I was actually hiding it from the entire world. So what you witnessed before I started singing was... Ah, uh, you know, joking around in songs, or um, people would he- overhear me singing to myself, and then if anyone ever asked me to actually sing or do anything kind of where I'd feel it's performative, um, I would always say no. Um, so I was denying my gift to people. Um, so it really it got to even to the point where I didn't de- even deserve to sing in the shower because I had never done anything with my voice. Um, I started, it started becoming like a real wound for me because it's something that I loved to do my entire life. Like mm-hmm. I, I sang in the school rock band when I was 13 years old and I went to an old boys school and I decided I never ever wanted to do that again. So that's kind of just been my story for such a long time. Um, and yeah, I started uh, started performing in front of friends. I'm still, I'm still easing into it, you know, but yeah, um, it, it's been amazing. That's where I think you, for me at least, when we clicked, I was going through the same thing. I used to sing. I was in the choir. I would do shows in school. Mm. And I don't know what happened where, like, I just buried that part of myself to the point where it would be, like, karaoke, and I didn't even want to do it. Or if it was something just, you know. Yeah, I get that. Karaoke, you're going to sing as a joke. I'm going to sing as a joke because it doesn't feel like it's, it's less vulnerable, right? Yeah, and then... You know, whether even if it was alone in my apartment and I want to sing a song, that's the only time I felt comfortable anymore. And I don't know what it was. I still am trying to analyze that a bit more. I don't know if there's any shame behind me wasting time trying to sing or th- what's the point of it? What am I, you know, what, what what's the point of this gift? You know, I, I was going back and forth a lot. 
but then you mm. kind of made me look at myself that way, which was pretty interesting. Mm. Um, and now I'm starting to kind of play with music again and write and being open to like using this microphone for that purpose. Everyone um, listening, Alicia has an incredible voice. So uh, I'm hoping that maybe one of these episodes is just um, you singing All I Want for Christmas on like <laughs> repeat for two hours. And uh, I think... <laughs> <laughs> But have, having you actually, like, just talking about the effects of people, like, how uh, effects that we can have on one another, right? I think yeah. having you in the office and encouraging me and seeing someone else with a good voice, but we kind of had this nice facade of, like, oh, it's kind of jokes. Like, we'd make up these joke songs and stuff like that, but we were kind of getting into it, you know? Yeah, and and I think that, that definitely helped us. It, it definitely helped us both kind of feel comfortable. It was it therapy, did. for sure. It, did. It, it really made me feel comfortable, especially when you're in such a strict office space. Or not, it wasn't really yeah. strict, but <laughs> you're in an office setting. And here we are like, I'm just going to, you know, be myself a bit more. And then it came out more <laughs> and more and more. And then to the point where no one could ignore it. Um, and it was great. But that's how we did. That, that's that's always the way I survived in the corporate space. Honestly, <laughs> was to just show up in the in the office as myself, and you're either going to handle it or not. There was exactly. only one job where I literally completely suppressed who I was for five months. I didn't speak at all, which you probably can't even imagine. I can't. No. But that is that is literally that was my survival technique at 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 jobs was literally to show up and. And to just un like unabashedly be myself within within the office space, and like so, there was kind of like meeting it halfway, you know. Yeah, and speaking of being yourself, which I I love, and I think that's probably one of the I, I feel like every time we meet someone, they teach us something, and you definitely were teaching me that again because I was kind of when I when I met you, I was not myself at all, and mm. you kind of were bringing that out. So that's something I always look back, and I'm so appreciative, but also with being yourself you, and what sure. you're what you're doing since we've left that wonderful place um i now you're starting a new venture a lot of people are especially during this time but your venture is something that i mean it's great it's something that's so needed not something that anyone would really expect if that makes sense but um you're starting a new project a program called supporting grievers and mm -hmm. i think it's phenomenal and I would love for you to just kind of dive into what is supporting grievers? What what is it all about? Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, I am three weeks in to my first ever course. It's a six week course I've just started. And really the mission of supporting grievers is to help build more effective and understanding support systems for people experiencing grief within our society. Um, we live in a world that is incredibly illiterate in this subject. Um, mm -hmm. There's a ton of avoidance, and this is the most universal of experiences. We will all experience grief. We all have experienced grief, and that's something we can touch on a little bit later, mm -hmm. um, which is super, super interesting for people to discover. But right now, um, support systems build walls between themselves and grievers, um, and grievers need support. We live in a social world and we can help one another. And right now, grievers feel incredibly alone in the process. Um, so I'm trying to kind of bridge the gap between uh, these two groups. Amazing. And is it for people that, because loss can look different for everybody. So is this yeah. for someone who specifically 
you know, is dealing with a death in their, from a loved one, or is it someone who's just grieving maybe a former life, a former a time in their life? Um, kind of what, what's the specificity yeah. any at all? Um, so my goal is to show up for grief in general. Um, okay. So you bring up a great point here is, is grief is not just the process after losing a loved one to death. Um, that's kind of the blockbuster experience that uh, that most people think it's about. Of course, that experience is grief. Um, and most people that I've been working with so far, most people I've been interviewing, the people that have joined my course are thinking along those terms. Um, but grief is a natural response to any significant loss or change. It could be um, something that we talked about a little bit earlier, Alicia, was um, you grieving your previous self in your mm -hmm. growth. This is a positive thing that's happening in your life, yes. but there's still a grieving process that can be turbulent and difficult to let go of the previous version of yourself. Um, parents might be grieving um, the loss of their of their children's childhood once they've been married, right? Yes. So like this is a happy moment, hopefully, um, but that can be a grief experience. But then also... More often than not, it's usually something that's difficult to handle. So a divorce is uh, in your family is grief. Um, of course, the loss of a loved one, um, getting an injury that changes your future image oh, of yeah. what you are going to be doing with your life. You know, there's so many things here. So I want to show up for grief in general. Mm -hmm. But of course, starting out, um, really, most of the people that are coming to me are um, dealing with uh, with 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 death and uh, loss of a loved one. Um, and that is something incredibly widespread among uh, around oh, our world. Yeah. The one thing that's going to happen for sure, once the day that you're born, for sure you are going to die. And <laughs> the people around you are eventually going to die as well. Um, so we need to become a little bit more literate about this. Sub actually, not a little bit, a lot a more lot. literate about this subject. Because this is part of life, you know, talking oh, about yeah. death is talking about life. And it's, it's crazy how we go through living, avoiding that. Like, this is like the big elephant in the room oh that God. nobody talks about. And then when it does happen, we act surprised. I mean, yes, there are incidences where it comes as a shock. Um, people are gone too soon, or you weren't expecting some dramatic changes. I mean, look at even just 2020 itself people's lives have drastically changed and they're grieving that former life before that. Uh, we, have a, we have a global grief going on yeah, for the world no, that we knew before. And nobody is really talking about it. We're trying to no. push this new normal or new way of being without saying or addressing yeah. that issue. And we're just all supposed to be okay with it, which is, I think, also why like suicide rates and depression have skyrocketed during this time. Um, but it is something that yeah, we don't really talk about or discuss. Yeah. And then when it does happen- We're obsessively avoidant. Oh, I, completely. And I mean, I, I think my first, in terms of grief, in terms of death, regarding death, um, I was five years old when my grandmother passed away. And mm -hmm. it, I remember, and this is how I know it's a traumatic event. I just remember that whole like day or two to this day, 30, almost 30 years later, and being told, at five years old, not to cry. Please don't cry. And, and I won't say he told me that, but we can't even uh, be vulnerable or address grief to a child. And this is an adult telling mm -hmm. me this. How yeah. is that adult dealing with grief? And what and how, what are you showing about grief to a child? You're just programmed this child to not 
express grief. Child, children are so protected from yeah. the process so often. So that's a very, very common story. But it's actually not the right way to go about it. Of no. course, um, to be careful about overwhelming a child um, makes sense. But to suppress them from the experience, um, you know, many times people don't share any information with the child until they become a teenager or become an adult, right? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you being told not to cry at that age by an adult that is teaching you how to live your life, that's problematic because you're being told to suppress. Yeah. And um, emotions are messages. Emotion, uh, emotion, uh, emotions are messengers to our body that we are meant to listen to. Their pain is a nuisance, yeah. it may seem, but, but pain is meant is designed to be noticeable so that we can act on it we're meant mm -hmm. to feel these things allow them to pass through our body and we're meant to learn from them so yeah. every single emotion has a message right so if you're angry potentially a boundary of yours has been crossed it's interesting to take a look at that and understand how you can kind of move forward with that or maybe redesign your boundaries or have a discussion with someone that's crossed your boundary, right? Yeah. If, we, if we are just completely blind to this, it all builds up and it does not go away. Suppression literally will make, let's say anxiety, for example, if you suppress anxiety, it is literally going to just get worse and worse and worse and become a long-term issue, become so built into your body that it's gonna become incredibly difficult to move through that later in life so yeah. um and this is so widespread avoidance like grievers themselves are from the same society as supporters and grievers are avoiding their emotions and the support systems around them are running away from them and pretending like nothing <laughs> happened so yeah. we're all just walking around with like a bubble head just uh, an airhead just pretending like nothing's going on yeah and it's sure. so detrimental it is. There's like an underlining bit of shame, almost, I think, with it, mm -hmm. where you feel mm -hmm. shameful for even wanting to express that or for even admitting to yourself that, that you feel this way. I don't, and I don't, I don't understand why shame, to me at least, I do. I, I, that's something that I resonate with, why that comes into, into play with it. Um, but maybe that's mm. why we're just like walking around with bobbleheads. <laughs> right, right. Now, I think uh, uh, some some thoughts have just come up there, right? Um, why we have shame and oftentimes guilt. So guilt yeah. for feeling the way that we feel is um, is we're often taught to be other focused and not focused on ourselves, um, which is interesting that it's actually resulted in support systems being really poor. Is, yeah. There's kind of that old saying, like, you have to put your own oxygen mask on before you help others. Mm -hmm. um, and through this lack of focus on ourselves, um, we're actually not able to check in of ourselves and regulate what's coming up for us so we can actually hold space for others. And, um, and why I think there's shame and guilt is because we're taught not to focus on ourselves and, and that we're not potentially that important is we often diminish the way that we feel. So um, through comparing our suffering to others, there's always going to be a story of someone else mm -hmm. that is going through something that subjectively, maybe not even subjectively, is more difficult than what you're going through. And we often say, oh, um, I don't deserve to feel this way because what I'm going through is not as serious as someone else. And this is very often the case with grief 
that is not from the death of a loved one, that's not really recognized in society. Oh, you had a breakup. A breakup can fuck you up. Yes, a breakup can. could be like, of course, you deserve to feel the things that you feel, right? Like, yes. and, 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 and what are you going to say? Oh, I, oh, um, my friend uh, lost their father. And yes, your friend also deserves to grieve, but your experience is valid. And we often are invalidating our own experience. And the other people around us aren't helping that as well because we're always trying to comfort each other, right? We're trying mm -hmm. to run away from pain and pain is bad. So what's one way that we can get away from pain? Convince ourselves that everything's okay. Yeah. Look on the bright side. Oh, it's all God's plan. Oh, all it happens this for a reason. Of... Or, you know, exactly, yeah. this platitude bullshit, right? And and what that does is it puts into our brains, uh, brains like these kind of like false messages that everything's okay. And actually, things aren't potentially okay. And that's okay to accept that <laughs> yeah. things aren't okay. We need to sit with that and move through that to actually live in our reality. Yeah, absolutely. We we just stray away from that discomfort immediately. And we're also kind of on a, on a grander scale, we're, we're just programmed to do that. We're just kind of set to just avoid, avoid, feel good, positive vibes only. You know, like, <laughs> oh God, if yeah. I hear that one more time. Yeah. But no, absolutely. And with such a mission, this is so like heavy, heavy in a good way, heavy in a sense where, yes, mm. we need to get through like the weeds here. We got to really get to the point, be open and discussing this. What inspired you to start such a project like this? Yeah. Um, so I, 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 there's, there's kind of multiple sides to this story, right? And mm -hmm. I, so I think, and I'd love to cover both of them. Yes. Um, uh, but so the, the first one, um, which is pr probably the more obvious one, is um, I have lived through my own significant grief in my life. Um, 23 years ago, um, I lost my older sister, Catherine. Um, it was a very sudden loss. Uh, she was hit by a car when she was holding hands with her best friend um, and was with her school on an outing. Um, and it was very sudden. Um, and my older sister uh, was my number one supporter. Um, she was my number one fan. She was the sibling that looked after me, the sibling that saw my light before anyone else did. Um, and everyone in my family uh, had their own version of their loss, right? But mm -hmm. we as a group suddenly had an empty chair at the table. Um, and grief, although it has broken me many times, has built me. I, yes. I have no idea who James is without this part of my story, right? Yeah. And what that did for me, so look, these things happen. It's really, really difficult for us to accept the randomness of life. There is no good reason why my sister was hit by a car and killed that day. Mm -hmm. She was 15 years old. She had her whole life ahead of her. Um, you know, there's no good reason. And it can be, and, and, and people can have a really hard time accepting that because they try and keep control over, kind of keep the imagination that they have control over right. their surroundings, what's going to happen. Because it feels really scary that one minute you can be here, the next minute you, next minute you might be gone and you did nothing to deserve that, right? right. And, um, and why I mention that is these things happen. So how do you move through them? And there's been many positive things that have happened to me through this process. I am not happy that I lost my sister, but I'm living with grief 
and how am I going to move through it, right? And mm -hmm. what that did for me is um, it made me very emotionally aware from a very young age, um, which was very rare for a boy. Right, um, yeah. I went to an all-boys school, um, surrounded by other boys. <laughs> um, it wasn't exactly the environment where that was the coolest aspect about me. So it's definitely something I kind of kept inside myself a little bit more um, and kept hidden. Mm -hmm. I think that's totally linked with my singing as well, right? It's, it's, I think so. It's, Maybe you yeah, need it as sure. more as a feminine thing to do, or because for sure, boys are for sure. Know. That's not yeah. very girly. Yeah, maybe that's why. The, no, yeah. the, the truth is, the truth is, we're all we're all a dance of masculine and feminine. We're all a mix, right? Uh, completely. But, yeah. Um, when you're growing up, when you're growing up, gender roles, especially, actually, this is totally the case at mixed schools too. I'm sure is you're trying, especially oh, you're trying you gotta, to impress, you impress a bunch the of girls. girls. You gotta do this to impress girls, and then you're totally. judged by the other. Yeah, girls. yeah, it, I'm, yeah. It's a lot. If I think, if anything, totally I think in mixed schools where there's both boys and girls i think it's even more like spotlight. right yeah right right so 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 yeah i guess my story of being an all boys school um is is probably <sighs> there's another whole version of this story being at yeah. a mixed school right so um but this made me very emotionally aware and i was lucky to be raised by um parents that encouraged us to communicate about our grief and to keep catherine as part of our lives um, so I was not taught to avoid, um, which I'm so, so, so grateful for so because good. that taught me how important community is and communication is and getting to the point where I can talk about Catherine and laugh and think about all the fun, amazing memories I've had with her and connect with her. Because if I avoid, then one trigger, one time that I you know, kind of get weak it's just going to explode out of me. That yep. that emotion needs to move through you, as we've mentioned earlier, right? So yep. um, that was incredibly important. Um, and I'm also so grateful for that because my sister has been my guiding light throughout my life and she's led me to where I am today. Um, if I avoided thinking about her and avoided just the whole topic and, uh, and, think, and thinking about the experience, um, then I would have a secondary death where I'd lose connection with my sister, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's that's just extra hard. So sorry, I've gone on a, off on a little no, bit of a tangent, but that's great because there's some people who can't even talk about a lost loved one that, that passed away years ago without crying. And there's so many hey. people that can't do it. And I'm just like, oh my god, like what do you, what do you, what's going on? Because I feel like there's something mm. else going on within there. They just, or or maybe they think that that is what how they're supposed to honor them maybe they would feel guilty not feeling sad when they talk about them um but i love how you just describe that whole process because they should be that light for them they should be um able to mm. talk about someone they lost in a happy way this person lived this person had a life yeah do you think that they want yeah. you to talk about them in such a sad way all all the time i mean they're they're honor them as well well so meet meet my sister through me you exactly. you you have met my sister through me yeah. and it is is through connecting with her and allowing her to continue to influence me. So how beautiful to not feel like she has completely died yes. because she's left, you know, her physical body. That's um, a beautiful perspective. She had an impact on all of us, yeah. you know? So um, that's been incredibly important. And I'd say actually very connected to this side of this story is um, I was very emotionally aware and I started really kind of keeping that within myself and 
not celebrating that side of me. Um, so, you know, trying to fit in. And I, and I did that through college. And, um, and come, uh, come senior year of college um, was when I really started to feel some things. I was like, there's something just missing. There's something um, that I'm not letting out. Um, and I moved to New York City. And this was just the next step of my process was um, I started meeting people that I felt really celebrated me for being me and just mm -hmm. genuinely me. And the next step of all of this was I was in the corporate world. I had no confidence to believe that I could do something different from what we're taught. We're taught that you jump into the corporate world. Mm -hmm. There's different versions of jobs in the corporate world, but if it's not for you, you end up kind of accepting because you're scared and you yes. don't have belief in yourself. You end up kind of accepting that this is just part of my life that isn't me, right? I'll make money here. Yep. And I'll go be myself um, after six or after five, and that will yes. have to be, I'll have to be okay with that. And that's terrible. That's five days a week. <laughs> for, for most of us, it's five days a week. And it's it's more it's more brain space than just the five days a week. It's affecting seven days a week, right? Oh, yeah. So over the weekend, you're worried about work. Over the You're checking your email. Even after you're at dinner, you cannot avoid that fake or, 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 or mask that you're wearing all, all day, every day. You can't avoid it. Our life should be a dance, right? It should yeah. be a fluid dance. And to have these like two different versions of yourself, maybe even more than two, right? Yeah. Um, I think is tricky to navigate. And a lot of us are doing it. And um, and I think, you know, back to holding back inside like parts of myself because I didn't think that it I wouldn't I would didn't think I would fit in or I didn't think that it was okay, um, especially as a man. Mm -hmm. Um I I think that really led to that kind of imposter syndrome or lack of belief in myself or feeling like I'm inadequate, right? I, I know New York has been so inspiring for me because I've, I've met so many people on this type of journey. If you listeners are in flux somewhere and you're not feeling connected to the place that you are, coming to a big city like this can be fucking <laughs> scary. But wow, there's a lot of people doing shit, Everything. right? It's like just... Yeah the fast paced environment, it's, it's not comfortable, but I really, really found value in that. Moving to New York, people are hustling and bustling, trying new things. Of course, there's all the people doing banking and all that kind of stuff too, but there's just so, <laughs> so much more. many people here. There's yeah, so the, many people here. And, there, there are yeah, people so inspiring. I'm like, I'm like, how do you make a live? How do you pay your rent by doing what you do? How do you, uh, you know, survive and they make it work? And they like live this different type of life that is inspiring. And but at the at the same time, the former me would look at them like, oh my god, she's crazy. Oh my god, and they're nuts. I can't believe they're doing that. And all these it's so scary though. Jumping into this is so oh, scary. Oh, so scary. But what I think also makes it even what adds to the fear, at least for me, is the fear of being judged for doing something scary and different. That people are going to mm. look at you like. They're out of their mind. They they have no security. Um, they're just dream daydreaming again. You're just a dreamer. Get your head out of the clouds. You're not going to yeah, be able yeah, like, yeah. to support yourself or a family or buy a home or do this. And it's just the fear of having those 
those pe- other judgments projected onto you, which you just got to get over because they don't mean anything. And now we, now we know that, but that's, that's oh my God, yeah. to the fear as well. Um, Stick also, in your lane, right? And especially, yeah. and I think something that comes up for me is family. Um, yeah. I have such, my best relationships in my family is my mum and dad. Yeah. And they are so incredible in so many ways. But actually, one of the main fears that came up whenever I was thinking about jumping out of this corporate world and starting my own thing was a fear of what my parents would think. Of course. My dad was a lawyer. Like, you know, like... Um, his his dad was a lawyer so that's like kind of his path right and just this fear that they won't understand and especially like I'm the baby of my family um you get into these roles and these muscle memories Mm -hmm. and with family it's like oh um you know who am I to maybe stand up and do this maybe they're just going to think oh I'm just being a child and, and and what do I know and um you know, I've been pleasantly surprised by their responses to these things as often stories I make it up in my head, but we need to just go fucking do it because yeah. it's, you're, you're not living for other people and, no. and don't let other people control your life. It's just. Absolutely. I mean, I was a product of a teenage pregnancy. I, I growing up mm-hmm. and, and again, a lot of shame. I wasn't brought into this world by choice. I wasn't brought into this world out of real love in my head that's what i would tell Mm. myself so what did i have to do i had to make up for my existence by being smart doing well all this and then Mm. it got to a point especially in college where i just was like this is not who i am like this is just something is off you're watching your life from the third third person it's like you're watching a movie that's just like happening your life's happening to you exactly it was like um in in the movie like get out where he like goes into the sunken place and is just watching everything that's how i felt right i felt at certain points in my life that that was more that that feeling was more prominent um yes i moved out and did everything and i kind of felt i had ups and downs with myself navigating that on my own not knowing you know how to even navigate that before but that shame that guilt was very early in in my in my Mm. life and then you're trying to prove yourself to your parents to my mom like hey it was worth having me (laughs) you know we we all have these uh crazy fascinating yeah and now i can look at it and talk about it and not not be sad like it's just it's made me who i am and i can't be angry Mm -hmm. about that at all i now i feel stronger and better than ever because i can look at that and realize so much um but yeah it's it's crazy how our family so much external factors can contribute to so much on our own our own guilt our own shame our own grief um but yeah just crazy totally totally so, and I, I guess I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll quite I'll just quickly I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. finish because um, I, I I'm loving our tangents but I'm just um, remembering it's just so um, it, yeah it's, it love love a good tangent <laughs> right <laughs> so I hope everyone I hope the people listening love a good tangent too uh, it's been really really fascinating to hear your story and 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 I, and I totally agree with what, you know kind of your final sentiments there was um was if you're happy with where you are today you can't regret anything that's happened no. right. Um, so, so all these things shape us. And for me, which I think a lot of people experience, I kind of, I can't regret anything that happened. I just said that, but I, I kind of wish I didn't have to get to the breaking points. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but those have been really important for me, right? Is these moments of like crisis where, um, two and a half years ago, 
um, I had a quick kind of quarter life crisis where I remember I was on a boat. I was on a boat at a, on a boat party in New York, um, and it was one of those those parties where like the DJ start playing and they're they're off they're off in the water in the Hudson. There's no escape, <laughs> and I remember just looking around like I was like it was a movie of myself, right? Yeah. And I was just like, "What am I doing with my life?" Like I was just like, "Who am I dating?" That I'm like I'm into. I'm just like doing these kind of like safe options of people that's to protect myself from actually being hurt, right? Um, what's my job? It's relentless. It never stops. Like is I'm working on someone else's baby. Like yeah. I, I just what is this and then and then freaking out about am i even uh, about money as well about um um oh i don't sing i don't express myself you know and it's so funny because other people from an external view would see me as this big personality like oh, got, got got the whole thing going on all yeah. this kind of stuff but it was this breaking point where i well, basically what happened in that moment was the discomfort of my comfort zone outweighed the fear of the unknown yeah so where i'm at right now i'm realizing is not working for me so jumping into the abyss and trying new things there's literally nothing to lose there mm -hmm. was at that point it was like you have to try something else because this isn't working yes. and what other choice do we have other than to live Absolutely. i mean there's another choice but there's not really another choice come on we have to live we're exactly. here. We've got we've got this one shot to do this thing, and um, what that triggered in me, I did get off the boat eventually. Um, <laughs> whether you can believe it or not, I'm not still off. on that boat. You I jumped, jumped off the boat. Off. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, like uh, metaphorically and literally. Um, so what that did for me is I I seeked out a therapist for the first time. My first session with the therapist, I expressed how I hated the fact that I never did anything with my voice. He gave me yeah. a singing teacher. I said, yes, this singing teacher um, was the perfect person for me. She was like this goofy, older English woman, kind of felt like a mum, and is exactly the kind of person I needed. And I started singing and she loved my voice and she gave me confidence that I was, that I could sing. And what happened with that is it kind of created this snowball effect of like if I if I had proven this one story wrong that I've been telling myself for so many years have been holding me back, why would I listen to the other stories? Mm -hmm. So when it came to dating and actually going for women that I genuinely was really into, um, I would used to tell myself, oh, I'm not good enough for that person, right? right. Uh, she's not human to go like me, or it's all going to mess up, right? And I had proven myself wrong with the singing, so why not take that with a grain of salt and say yes get on the dating app stop thinking the dating apps are like weird and forced and all that kind of stuff did it easy peasy good to go right and and, and i then, remember that you and, were on like a stride yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah i was like all, all over the place like, but like but like it was just such a it was such a switch over because yeah. i'd been protecting myself so singing and dating and then where this comes to your original question that you've asked me <laughs> is how I started this project is I always deep down have not really liked my career. They would, you know, I'd get promotions. I'd um, make myself feel good by being myself in the office. That was a coping mechanism, right? And also a good coping mechanism as well. Yeah. That wasn't negative. Yeah. Um, 
But I always felt like I was meant to do something more heart-centered. There were these incredible, you know, pe my friends come to me uh, with their problems very often, right? And and I'm really passionate about people and working with people. And I've also yeah. been really passionate about working with people through grief. Um, ever since the age of 18 was when I really had my first calling to help someone through grief. But I never pictured these as potential career options. Right. And with proving those stories wrong, I started to really embody the belief that my story could change. Mm -hmm. We always look at our futures. And we always imagine our futures as a, as a continuation of what we already know. It's just yes. natural. That just makes sense, right? Oh, but yeah. it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, we, we keep telling we, these stories and our stories are only just based off of what actually happened or what may have happened the in the past. Yeah, it, it, everything is past related in these stories. And then they also convert into limiting beliefs. You're, you have a belief mm -hmm. that is so limited, that is so restrained that like you just said, what keep if yourself you, in a box. Yeah. And it's like, well, what if you just got out of the damn box and, you know, chose <laughs> differently or thought differently? Is it going to kill you? Is it? And a lot of us, I think there's fear behind that too, because it's a fear of the unknown. But I think like you said earlier, we think we have control and we do not. So you might as well mm. just open yourself up to all the other possibilities rather than- Emotions that. aren't gonna kill you. Yes. We are literally in grief as well. And in, uh, is we fear that our emotions are literally going to end us. Yes. I don't wanna feel it. I don't wanna and, talk about it. I don't wanna, yeah. it, it's like, hold on a minute. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, but so mm -hmm. necessary. I mean, I've yeah. been doing, I mean, this it's called shadow work if you will, mm -hmm. where you're looking at the darker aspects of you. And, and yep. it's necessary because you need to see what's not working to know what needs to be fixed. You need to look at the dark right. to understand the light or to have more light come through at least. Um, right. And it's uncomfortable. I mean, I'll do it in the mirror. Um, and it, there are emotions Amazing. that are going to arise. There are things right. that you're going to realize. And the only time when people, and I was reading something about this where shadow work kind of made things quote unquote worse for them the only reason why if anyone feels that way is because they are not making the changes that they've discovered during their shadow work they're the not problem, listening to the messages yeah those emotions that you that came through that you were trying to ignore are now magnified and you're choosing to still be in a box that now you realize oh shit, I, this box doesn't fit anymore but you're still trying to fit into it um so right. i highly suggest that as well if anyone is you know, can't understand yeah. or maybe as a starting point. Um, right. Yeah, amazing. Shadow, so shadow work is actually something I was doing as well. Um, oh. And um, I personified my shadow and it is my 13 year old self. And oh. it is it is the scrawny, skinny boy that was trying to fit in. Oh. And um, I, I reconnect with him and I, and, and I ask him what he needs, right? And the thing is, is that, um, I live, I live this life that can be compartmentalized into different chapters really easily. Yeah. Like I have my London life till I was 18. Um, I have my university life uh, when I moved to America, which was on the West Coast. And then I have my New York life. And my New York life just feels like where everything started, started clicking, all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is that I am that, I've always been me. I, I am that person that uh, like for the past 30 years, and by rejecting um, thoughts of that person and avoiding uh, my teenage self, for example, 
um, I'm actually not moving through those emotions. And mm -hmm. it's been really, really, really beautiful to reconnect with old versions of myself and kind of just put it all together and, and, and also embrace the fact that who I was at 13 helped me become who I am today and be yeah. okay with that and, and just check in with him because he still exists within me. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when I have those limiting beliefs, it comes from um, thoughts and perspectives from that age. So for me to check in with 13 year old James and say, what, what is it you need right now? And from a mature, more mature point of view, um, teach him a little bit about what's actually yeah. going on, then it's been really helpful for me to move through that stuff. I gotta do that. I gotta personify myself. Like, Give a name. Old, yeah, because my younger self, her hair is never really done. It's frizzy. It's out of control. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have my big circle glasses. I'm awkward. Mm -hmm. I hated my gap. Um, it was just so many things that I was like, Argh. just uh, this uncomfortableness with yourself. Right. Um, yeah, I gotta do that. I've named I've named mine Bozo. Bozo. So my Yeah, so um um which actually maybe is a little bit mean. Um so Bozo. maybe I don't recommend but yeah, Bozo, what are you doing? But 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 rather than um rather than naming him James, because my 13-year-old self is part of me, but it isn't me. Right. Right? Um it doesn't define me. Um so when when I have those limiting beliefs, actually, sorry, I misspoke. Bozo is the voice in my head that's not my friend. And oh. I guess that's connected to my shadow. But I but it's sometimes helpful to kind of add humor and playfulness yeah. to this whole process because like really, I mean, what's going on? We're floating on a rock. Like let's just like like <laughs> like like we're doing all this work, right? But like let's also be playful with it. We we know jack shit. Um it's let's let's be intentional of how we move through the world and move through our lives. But exactly. um but really, come on. Like it's all it's all fun and games at the end of the day. Like I, I can't I can't really explain why we're here, right? None of us can. None of us so, can. Bozo is telling me some stupid thing, and I can kind of laugh Bozo off and say, "That's not true, Bozo. Love you, mate." But we're moving on. Yeah. Oh man, I got I love them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think of a persona. I'm excited for me on my project of the the next few days this week. Um, so, <laughs> Lil John, Lil John's yours. Uh, Lil John, Lil, Lil, Lil Juanita. <laughs> <laughs> Juanita. <laughs> yes. So, Juanita. Yes. I, I want an excuse to use that name. Um, so <laughs> when, when it comes to your specific um, project, Supporting Grievers, and the program that people that, that, are, that get enrolled in, what does mm -hmm. that process look like? What does the program look like? What can somebody expect when they participate? Yeah. Okay. So... This so this first offering um, that I'm in week three of is a six week group course, um, and basically we have one hour and a half call um, for six weeks. So it's a pretty light lift, but we as a group are creating a safe space to discuss grief and death. And although the course is called supporting others through loss and grief, which feels other focused. So much of the work is actually on ourselves. Um, right. So what we've done so far is uh, the first few weeks is about understanding what grief actually is, because we have such an incorrect definition of what it is. Right. And um, through defining that and looking through grief stories, I had a guest speaker come in and tell her story. I have my story. People in the group have their stories. Right. Um, 
we can help build actual empathy because right. the thing is, is that when we build walls between ourselves and grievers, um, then we're actually not allowing ourselves to connect and holding space for others. is all about connection and mm -hmm. empathy is feeling with others, right? Is actually allowing to tap into our own experiences to, to, to educate how we can approach someone else, right? In their experience. And, Many people think, oh, I've not lost someone, so there's no way I can understand. But right. grief is a whole set, the whole set of human emotions and physical effects and everything. So you understand what anger is. You understand right. what an anxiety is. You understand what relief is. You know, there's really a lot of confusing emotions with grief. And allowing yourself to sit with that and understand that you yourself has, have had grief experiences. And they may be small. They may be smaller than others but you have experienced grief in your life. So a lot of it is educating and allowing us to tap into the grief space within ourselves mm -hmm. so that we can hold space for others. Um, and then um, this week, we again kind of focusing on ourselves as we started identifying our own coping mechanisms and different ways of coping with grief. Um, and I had a guest speaker come in and do a workshop about identifying what comes up for us in our bodies and learning how to regulate it. Mm -hmm. So we actually have space to, to show up for someone else. Because if I enter into a room and I'm approached with someone that is grieving and I'm just in total overdrive and freak out, how the hell am I going to show up for that person, right? Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of it is actually focused on us. And, yeah. uh, and then now in the second half um, is where we're going to get into practical ways to show up for others. Um, and we're going to end it with a session on becoming more comfortable and realistic with the reality of death. Um, something you actually said earlier, Alicia, was we get shocked by these by these experiences. Mm -hmm. And yeah, things are unexpected and we should be shocked, but we should be a lot, lot less shocked than we are yeah. because we act as if we, we act as if the stuff's never going to happen. We live our lives as if nothing is ever going to happen. We're going to live forever. And honestly, with the, um, the uh, Ram Dass's book, Walking Each Other Home, really... Love Ram Dass. Ugh. I mean, every time I, I could listen all day. Listen to his podcast. He is so funny and amazing. I, I absolutely love this man. I love his humor. And in the book, um, it's just conversations about loving and dying. And he talks mm -hmm. about this shock when you're in the hospital and you have, you know, a family member who's sick. Maybe they're elderly. And we're talking to them as if, yeah, how are you doing? You're going to be all right. Yeah. And the doctor is saying all this stuff to them. And then when you go into the other yeah. room with the doctor, they're like, yeah, it's not looking too good. But, and it's like, well, why are we lying to this person? They know <laughs> that this is the end. Why not make, and, and, and mm -hmm. just, people might think, oh, this is wrong. You shouldn't be telling us that they're going to die. They know they're going to go. They know at that point, right. at a certain point when it's predictable, where these circumstances are tight, why not yeah. just be there and hold a space for this person to exactly acknowledge what they're going through be honest with them hold a space for them and just be that he calls it a loving rock be that loving mm. rock throughout the entire process and let that person right. go without this without these lies without this um false hope without this restraint like it's a bad thing that they're gonna die uh, inducing fear potentially right. on this person um and right. I, I found it to be just mind-blowing and and i absolutely love it and um he always says like in the book death is like going through life but with death kind of on your shoulder 
like and remembering that as you're walking yeah. through and it makes you embrace the present moment people you're absolutely with. Yeah. there's so many benefits to it and i am not 100 percent fair i think about death i have my own fears of death right um but for us as a group to become more realistic and more privy to the fact that this is part of life and life is random so if 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 I am aware that you could be gone tomorrow and then I could be gone tomorrow, if for some reason in this podcast chat, we got in some <laughs> argument and this ended badly, um, I may be more likely to reach out to you tonight and try and sort that out. Let's yeah. leave with love, right? Let's, uh, let, let's, let's, let's be present in this moment. So this, I, I love the examples that you just brought up. It's absolutely right. It's a, it's, there's so many arguments to be said about just being more in tune with this part of life. And, you know, something that you were saying about going to the hospital side and saying, oh, it's all okay and all this kind of stuff is these words of comfort. We're all, we're so obsessed with comfort. Yeah. Um, and that actually holds us back from being actually supportive. Yes. Right. And, um, and really what's going on for supporters is they're actually making it about themselves. They don't realize they are, but they're so uncomfortable and have a fear of, facing these types of emotions, that person knows that they're dying. So you can make them feel crazy by saying, oh, it's all okay, and feel, make yeah. them feel completely in solitude because they know that they're going to die, but you're saying all this bullshit to them. Or you can step in to this difficult space with them mm -hmm. and sit with them and be part of the experience because otherwise yeah. they're going to do it completely alone. Yeah, you can make that transition a beautiful transition rather than making it this misery, sad, like you know, kind of, I don't even know what, what to call it, but this dreaded experience, you can make that transition for them into death a lot more pleasant, a lot more loving, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. Um, yeah so, so that's a six-week course, basically. And okay. and um, it's going so well so far. I, it's like, it's hard to describe how this feels. Um, but... It was originally geared towards supporters of grievers. So people, okay. people that, right. It was originally geared towards that. Right. And it was like, and, and, um, kind of my initial vision was people that weren't so in tune with grief yet, right. um, in their lives, but actually it's such a mix. I have a lot of significant grief within my groups. I have a UK group and a US group and it has been incredible for both sides. So, um, you know, I learned so much in the process of researching and, um, and I have my own grief experience. We all have our own Everybody. story, but it's so multifaceted that there's so much to learn about grief and who isn't a supporter. If you're a griever, you're still a supporter. You're supporting the other people around you and you're supporting others through grief. So the course is kind of built for everyone. I realized. Yeah, no, this is amazing. And as I know you're still in the middle of the course, but so far, has there been something that has made you look at yourself or that you're learning now and, or, or have a different perspective on now that you're in the middle of this course with between two different groups? Has there any been any um, changes within yourself that you're noticing? <sighs> yeah, so I many. mean, on a, <laughs> on a personal level, on a personal level, um, I could have kept re the research part of this going for years and years just to kind of that was like my next level of comfort zone, right? Once I jumped right. off the ledge and left the corporate world, um, my, le my next level of comfort was, oh, you know, let me just make sure I'm ready, right? And 
Um, I'm so passionate about this subject um, and I've lived grief. It's such a part of my life. Um, and I also have experience leading groups, right? I like, I didn't, I connected that with my old experience in the corporate world. It's, I actually have experience of this mm -hmm. and jumping into this and the feedback I've been getting, also the fluidity that is like felt within me has just been like a lesson of just do it. Like just honestly peel the bandaid off. It might not go perfectly the first time, but I'm going to learn so much yeah. more through doing um then then kind of sitting and like oh preparing forever like i did a lot of research for this enough research to lead this course right? right so just be realistic with yourself so that's that's something personally and then i and then kind of what i said before is like learning so much that um grievers themselves have so much to gain from this process um i've learned so much from the shares within my group um, people talking through different types of grief experiences. So, um, you know, someone mentioned giving up drinking and becoming sober and the grief process of everything that's kind of, you know, their old lives, their old friends that were associated with that old life and all that kind of stuff, like really interesting um, lessons that I've learned from other people sharing with me. So being in a group has been really amazing because we all have things to learn from one another. Yeah. And I, I'm always a student myself. So yeah. I'm actually gaining so much myself from a course that I'm facilitating. Right, right. No, and I love how you said ripping it off like a Band-Aid. Like we, I was listening to, I think, Phil Good on Instagram, where he says that there are people that are when then people. When mm. I do X or when I do enough research or when I get here, then mm. I'll do this when then people never do anything they just they're constantly right. when they're constantly in limbo and the best thing you can do in anything whether it's you know starting starting this project or in this venture or starting a podcast i mean i, I don't have a legit studio i don't have anything that, <laughs> uh, this is like the most ghetto setup possible <laughs> it work. i'm like i'm doing it now and i'm learning every day doing this even in speaking i mean i wasn't really i got to a point where i didn't even like um speaking on zoom and mind you our former job we've been doing that all day and i was like panicking but you rip mm -hmm. it off like a band-aid and you get through it and my god does it make everything just so much easier and you learn you're learning so much to the point where you want to keep learning therefore you want to keep doing now um but yeah i love that you said that and yeah I can only imagine. I mean, so some, something happening right now that I can think of is part of me was scared with this podcast. The fact that I, I, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to take notes for what I want to talk about. I think that's another comfort is, yeah. oh, I don't, I, I won't know what to say. Right. So I'm, I'm going to need to take loads of bullets and all this kind of stuff and keep on that track. But actually, of course, like we're, we're just having a conversation about, about life. And of course I can talk about that. <laughs> Oh, you can talk like you <laughs> I don't, some people need like bullet points and stuff but with you and i i'm like i i'm not worried about this yeah I know always always fluid <laughs> always fluid oh wait on our tangents no less yeah um so what do you hope for for the future i know you're still in the middle of this program but what is your long vision for supporting grievers yeah so Basically, I'm seeing this as the first leap into the space, right? Um, to be totally honest with you, and what's realistic is I don't know what's going to happen next. 
but I do have obviously some seeds that are planted in my mind about right. where things could go. So um, something I'm really excited about that I wasn't expecting is I am working one-on-one -on -one with a client already, um, oh, um, a griever, and that's been incredible. I was not feeling confident that I could do that yet. Um, and so much progress is being made um, and I'm getting amazing feedback from that. So I definitely want to ramp up my one-on-one -on -one work. Um, next January, um, in the new year, I'm going to run this course again um, and have um, more groups so I can actually realistically try and make this a career I can actually move into. I'm also looking into um, building a self-serve course online. Um, okay. so something you can move through yourself and maybe just have oh. access to me by email and there'll be some videos of me and stuff like that, uh, talking through some stuff. Um, I'm really, really trying to make a movement here. And that's something that yes. through doing I'm learning, right. As I mentioned before with the guest speakers that I've had come in, one of the guest speakers texted me after saying, this has inspired me, um, to start telling my story and how I'm, and believe that that can heal others. So helping people kind of step up into this space and all the people attending and, and taking part in, in the course, I'm trying to build grief warriors. I want them to move into their communities and be leaders in this space in terms of pe making people feel comfortable mm -hmm. about talking about death and grief. Death is part of life yeah. and talking about grief is love. So make it part of your dance, right? And um, uh, so I'm so excited about that is, I want to create a movement. My cousin, um, who has her own grief experience, um, I was fortunate enough to speak to her the other day um, because she was having a tough grief day before her wedding, oh, which wow. makes sense because of, uh, because her father's missing from that yeah. wedding. And um, I, I've been so lucky to practice what I'm preaching every day. So I'm teaching this course, but I'm also working with grievers and having conversations all the time. So I actually feel really good about practicing what I'm preaching. But she also says, I now feel inspired with the, with the knowledge that I have in nutrition. Um, how, can I, um, how can I help grievers through that process? Because today I've noticed I haven't fed myself. And um, to make, so we had an idea to make a guide for um, people with so the type true. of nutrition that they should have when they're having a grieving day and maybe pass that on to supporters. So the type of food that they could encourage um, people to consume on a tough grief day. So there's so, so I'm just so much. excited. It's just so much. And, and through doing this is inspiring others. Yeah. So my little group courses, it's just going to snowball and snowball and snowball. And we're going to, build a grief literate society together and i really am starting to believe that absolutely i i completely love this i love it i love it um especially with the, the nutrition it. part because <laughs> people who you know when like, like they're going through a tough time they look at they lost weight they gained weight it's like yeah yep. that, that definitely that definitely correlates to, in so many ways there's so much there's so much still to discover which it sounds like and it sounds amazing where can how people... fun how fun is that how it's, fun is that it's like, so it's fun. so there's so much to discover it's like, it's like i I'm, it's, I'm just on the tip of the iceberg right yeah, now yeah you've done the research but it's one thing to go through it like anything you can read about something mm -hmm. you can watch a movie but when you're going through the motions of it all you're rediscovering yourself you're you're discovering new things um yeah. and yeah that's you're definitely a movement hands down um where can people 
learn more about supporting grievers and contact you if they're yes. interested. Yes. Um, so you can type in supportinggrievers.com and that is uh, my website. Uh, you'll, there is kind of mainly about information about my group course, but I eventually will be adding more information there. You can contact me from there. Uh, my email is james at supportinggrievers.com. Remember, grief is uh, I before E, so just make sure you spell it right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I also have an Instagram um, that does not have much information on it yet, but I'm definitely going to try and start yeah. um, posting more there soon. Alicia, I know you have your whole own process with like deciding oh what to do God. with social media. It's another yeah. job and it's okay to say it, but it is like another, it's work, but yes. I wish I had someone doing it for me, to be honest. Yeah. It, it, I mean, yeah, that might be it because it's, it's, it is another job you want it. You want to keep people informed, but then you also want to get the people to just follow another page, which I get can be right. kind of like, ah, uh, but my, the support goes a long way. Um, and it's something that, this is actually something beneficial. People can follow some ridiculous accounts on Instagram. I think we can follow accounts that are actually talking about life and some mm -hmm. legitimacy. So definitely give supporting viewers a follow. Um, and what, what I also want to say in this too is, you know, that two and a half, two years ago-ish, I remember having a dream. And this dream oh my was, God. Of, was of you supporting or, or, or helping, particularly um, there were two men in my family that were in the dream, supporting them during a grieving process. And this is before one of them actually lost their their mother. And I remember having this dream, seeing James helping my, my relative. I'm like, oh my God. And it felt real. It felt, I, I felt like profound in the dream like i can remember that that emotion in the dream of like oh my god i can't believe he's doing this this is amazing and mm. telling you about that at work and you're uh, and this is before any of this was probably even a, a thought and here you are i know for you this is all full circle but for me just that experience is like wow that was that was something else that i was tapping into and i'm so grateful for that and so happy to alicia see that was part of now. my journey alicia you <laughs> you receiving that text from you was part of my journey in believing that my story can change. And yeah. and I, that's just a testament of when you feel like you want to compliment someone or you feel something about someone else, um, don't keep that information to yourself. They no. can change their lives. Like yeah. honestly, the belief in others for me, because we unfortunately, oh, so many of us are caught up in what <laughs> others think about us. Yeah. Um, that when others give you messages like that, it can actually like rewire your brain. So I will never forget that text. I have a screenshot of it oh. on my phone, in my favorites. And it was before I knew I was gonna do a grief project. It was yeah. just, you had a vision. <laughs> like, I'm like, what? Uh, yeah, a vision that was just so accurate and it blows me away. It really is. And I'm so happy I shared it with you. And, and there's something oh, in me was like, you, you have to say this. But with that said too, I mean, I. I'm so proud to not only call you a friend, but to know mm. someone like you and know what you're doing. This is such a movement. It's only the beginning. Um, yeah, I have no words that can describe how impactful this is, this is, this is how it's going to be. And maybe I'll have another vision sometime soon. <laughs> but uh, yes. yeah, I am so proud to, to call you a friend and to know someone like you. You're amazing. I'm I proud to you. call you a friend too, Alicia. And I love you too. And I'm, I mean, what a fun conversation to have so with fun. you. Um, 
this has been great and honestly this is just like kind of how our conversations go I in know. general um just not and, on company time anymore we're, we're you know. yeah not on company time <laughs> <laughs> sorry uh sorry old employers um but but Alicia, I'm so proud of you. Honestly, I've seen you grow so much in the time that I've known you and just seen you like jump on new realms and just run with it. And like, you seem happier than you've ever been. Um, I'm, I'm acting like as if I've known you forever, but I feel like you're it happier than like you've ever it. been. I think and it's on, inspiring. Soul level, on a soul level, yeah. I think we've definitely known each other for quite some time. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, re remember that one time in the kindergarten? What the fuck? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, but Alicia, I'm so I'm so proud of you and like this project's amazing to kind of like to 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 get these stories out there about mm -hmm. regular ass people <laughs> just doing like the finding thing. their flow, doing <laughs> the damn thing and I mean it's 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 amazing. So you've also yeah. been really inspiring to me and uh that's the kind of people we should surround ourselves with. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for visiting House Momentum, and I'll be seeing you soon. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye! If you'd like to contact House Momentum or learn more about today's guest, email housemomentum at gmail.com. <laughs>